All right, good morning. I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a interactive uh, speaker. I think it's from my background in sales. And so I might get you guys to raise your hands and, and get a little interaction. Can I have a good morning again? Wake you up a little bit? All right, all right I love it. I love it. So let's go for the Lord in prayer um, and ask that he would be the one that speaks to us today uh, through his spirit and, and not me. Lord, we come before you today and I just ask, Lord, you know where our lives are, you know where our hearts are, you know where my mind is, Lord, you know in, in full transparency, you know, the franticness of my mind and all the things that are going on and Lord, you say that um, you are sufficient for all our needs, that you will rise us up on wings of eagles. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength today to be able to pay attention and to be able to hear from you. And more importantly than that, Lord, I pray that you would speak through my words, that it would be your spirit, Lord, that I would just be a tool, a vessel in your hands, Lord, to share with someone in this room that needs to hear it. Uh, my testimony, Lord, and someone that needs to hear what my struggles were. And I pray, Lord, that you would use those, Lord, to, to bring glory to your name and that you would use it to continue to just transform us into your image so that one day we might be before you face to face. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, so in full transparency... I've said no to Pastor Tim for speaking up here for probably more than a year. He has uh, asked me over and over again to speak, and I'm just like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. A couple reasons why. One is because probably I'm lazy, and, and I don't actually want to prepare. And the second is because, you know, the scriptures say those who teach are going to be held accountable at a different level. And that makes me nervous when I get up on stage and you know, he ended up just putting me on the calendar. So I guess he got tired of asking. He's a good salesman. He ended up just putting me on the calendar. And so I realized at a board meeting, I was up. And, you know, I think it's appropriate because I didn't know what the message was going to be about. But the message is titled, The Cost of Discipleship. And in full transparency, I don't really want to be speaking up here today. I don't really want to, I don't have a fleshly desire that gets my rocks off for speaking in front of you guys and seeing your smiling pretty faces at me. It, 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 I don't have that. And so it's appropriate that today it just fits because what I'm trying to do up here on stage is I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be faithful to my pastor who's asked me to speak and I'm trying to be faithful to the Lord who tells us to, you know, speak and give an account for what you believe in and share because, you know, our job here on earth is the Great Commission. Our job is to bring glory to Christ and to bring people to him. And so I want to share with you guys a little bit of who I am. And in that, I want to share with you guys my greatest struggle in coming to know God and still is to this day. So a lot of times I think when people share testimonies, it's what, where they were to where they have become. And for me, it is, was where I am, but it's on this road of sanctification. I'm still not arrived. I still struggle with it. And if you're in my uh, Sunday school classes, you'll know I struggle with 
with this stuff, just trying to get down to the true interpretation of the word and what does God want us to do in our lives. And so just starting out, I figured I would give you kind of my backstory. I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm 29 years old. So my dad has been a pastor for about uh, 28 years, I believe, at the same church. This is the church I grew up in. It's Luvanna Baptist Church. And uh, not only was I a pastor's kid, I grew up in a family of eight kids. So I'm the third oldest. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, I guess, six boys, two girls. And we were homeschooled. All of us were homeschooled. So not only did, you know, were we the pastor's kid, you know, my rebellion was going to too many church activities. I literally was there on Tuesday night knocking doors in the neighborhood, Wednesday night at prayer meeting and in the church dinner. Then I'm there on Saturday helping to build the church. Then on Sunday, obviously, I'm there for all the Sunday activities. So I just, and, and some of you guys in the back can maybe relate to this, that you don't really have a choice. When you, when you grow up in church, you, you don't have a choice. You're there. And not only that, I always remember my dad growing up, everywhere we went, whether it was at Walmart and we were getting out to go in the store, we were going to church, my dad would go, remember, you represent me, the church, and God. I mean, talk about accountability. That makes you feel a little nervous right there. I mean, he, my dad didn't really have any rules. They eight kids. He really was not a strict uh, father, and neither was my mother. My mother, you would think, would be really high stress, not high stress, didn't have words, because how they raised us was they raised us of going, you know what would please me, what would please God, and do those things. And so, you know, I always have been... In that mindset, it's how I lead my company today, is I don't actually set a lot of, of rules out. I really set the vision and the goals of where we want to be and you know, tell them, hey, you know where we want to be, so do the things that help get us there. So grew up, eight kids. Here was my passion, was music. At, at 12 years old, I got lucky enough in the church uh, to meet a guy who played guitar and he took me under his wing, and I actually joined his band. I played my first concert at 13 and got addicted. I, I uh, was in a couple bands growing up, but then formed a band with my brothers, and we traveled up and down the East Coast. We led uh, church retreats. We led concerts. Um, we, we got decently popular to where we were playing two to three gigs a week. And we did this, and I was one of those kids being homeschooled. I would finish my school at like 12. We lived in the church parsonage, and our church was right next door. My brothers and I, because these are my brothers up on stage with me, um, they, we would all go over to the church, and we would play music for like four hours a day. And that was my passion. That was my dream. And so I literally went from being in the church every Sunday, every Wednesday, to now having a ministry at 14 years old where I'm going around, and I remember just... You're just kind of doing. I remember abstinence was big at the time, abstaining from sex before marriage. And so I remember all the youth pastors talking to us about that and me having to develop my message on what our beliefs were. And not that it wasn't real, because it is real. I was living it, but I was kind of just doing because that's all I knew. All I knew. I grew up in the church. It was my culture. It was where I was at. It's all I knew. And I did this all the way up until college. And there's I'm going to show you an embarrassing picture here. I think it's embarrassing. Now, my employees find it today, and they come up and they show it to me. It never fails. I get a new employee that they Google me, and they find this picture. I guess we thought we were the Jonas Brothers. I'm going to tell you a little secret about this picture. It's all the same shirt and all the same tie. 
My brother is a web designer, graphic designer now, so he's gifted at graphic design. So he changed the tie on, on one of them. So we used the same tie for everybody, took separate pictures, and then he put it all together. So we were called the Acre Brothers. It didn't work out too well. So don't, don't Google us. Don't, don't do that. So the only thing that breaks up a band is, is love. And it wasn't actually me, it was my brother who was the drummer. So we, were, we really wanted to do this full time. This was our passion, this was our dream to do music. And um, we were having success with it, but my brother got married. And when you get married, you can't pay the bills playing part time as a musician. Uh, so he got a job, and then I obviously fell in love with my beautiful wife at the same time, Megan. And uh, we got married right after college. And after college, wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I'm going to speed through this story so I can get to where my struggle was in, at the end of high school and in college. But um, didn't know what I wanted to do, but I want to share a little testimony here. I came up here for a summer internship, and I lived in the Oxford Court just a mile up the road from here and was driving by one Sunday and saw the sign and decided, you know, hey, I'm going to attend that church when I was up here for the summer on a summer internship. I don't know why. But here's what's amazing. I was an intern eight, nine years ago doing that. And today I'm a president of a company. And the church I came into, what does it have? It has the president of a company leading the church. God knew, I didn't know at the time, but God knew that I would probably need Pastor Tim's influence in my life. Even though I didn't know, I look back now and it was so clear. And, and there's so many testimonies. If you guys don't miss the opportunity to take some time, meditate and reflect. And look at what God has actually done in your life. Because that gives you the assurance of faith to move forward. Right? And so, you know, I look at that and go, man, that was so powerful. But I ended up joining this company called Reminder Media. We had about 40 employees at the time. I was a sales rep on the phone. And God has just blessed me over the years of being gifted at sales and I guess gifted at leading people. And it's grown. I, I now have 270 full-time employees. I have 199 contractors, so I'm managing about 370 people. And we've been named the fastest growing company two years in a row out of 7 million companies. We're up in the top 5,000. We just were named top place to work. I don't share this to brag. I share this because this ties into my struggles today. It ties into my, my ultimate struggles. But I want to give you guys an idea of who I am and, and what I'm doing so you can maybe have camaraderie with it or maybe see that I'm leading a company and still have all these doubts and imperfections. It doesn't matter if you're leading a company or if you're in a summer internship. And so that really leads me to the, the scripture today and where my struggle was. My struggle in Christianity, growing up in the church, I, I don't know why it's God's made me this way. I'm obsessive compulsive, I guess, about this stuff. I'm an extremist. And um, I really struggled with theology. And the, the, I chose this verse because there was many, many verses that caused me to struggle. But this one I thought really <laughs> takes the cake of, of explaining it, is that, you know, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, just even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Because 
when you have a relationship with Christ, what do you want to know? You want to know the seven-step process of what you need to do every single day to be the great Christian. That's what I wanted to know. I'm growing up in the church. I wanted to know what does it take to get into heaven? What does it take to be a good Christian? I understood it's a gift from Jesus and all I have to do is, is believe in Jesus, but how do I know if I believe in something? Because one day I wake up and I feel like I believe in it. The next day I wake up, I'm not feeling too hot. I don't feel like I really want to do it. So now I don't feel like I believe in it. So what is the differentiator? And these verses cause me to struggle, and here's why. Because they're so radical. And when I grew up, and and I guess in the era of youth group that I grew up in, the message was, pick up your cross daily and follow Christ, evangelize. I was 13 in New York City, going up to homeless people and sharing the gospel with them. Because we were on mission trips. We did mission trips every year. So I was doing that. It was all about being radical. And it really caused me a lot of struggle. Because I looked around and I didn't see a lot of people hating their, their mother, their, their father. And more importantly than that, because I, I'm smart enough to know he probably doesn't mean literal hate. But what he means is basically giving up everything to follow after Christ. And I wasn't seeing that. And I looked around my church and I looked around at the deacons, and I, and I started to almost get a little bitter. And I felt like, and I've chose some other verses here, just to give you an idea of where, how many verses in the Bible talk about this radical nature. Peter, James, and John, leave all your fishing equipment, all your nets, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Levi leaves his lucrative tax collecting business. This is Luke 9, all these are from Luke, Luke 9, 23 to 25. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. My struggle was I wanted to be popular in a band and I wanted people to praise me. I wanted people, I wanted to be able to fill stadiums. That was a desire of my heart. But I'm reading these verses and going, he must deny himself. So do I have to give up my dream? of being popular at music? Do I have to give up my dream that I actually want to be successful because I need to deny my success and deny what I want to follow after Christ? And these verses really started to make me struggle. You have at the end there, the rich young ruler is unwilling to renounce his wealth and follow and go sadly away. So the rich, this rich guy comes to Jesus, what do I need to do? Give away all your wealth. These verses, I don't know if they make you struggle, they cause me to struggle because I take them really serious. And at the end of high school and college, I went through a period of time where I couldn't even buy a Dr. Pepper. I couldn't buy a Dr. Pepper, and here's why, because I would read these verses. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So I would see the compassion commercials on TV of the children that are starving in Africa. And I would go, I can't buy a $2 Dr. Pepper. There's kids starving. And this verse, I'm taking it so, it caused me to struggle. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. These, when I read them, I don't know if they convict you. They still convict me to this day, and they should. They should convict me. But I was missing a critical part of a relationship with God. But this was my struggle, was taking these verses so literal, not 
seeing people around me. I remember a gentleman who is a huge instrumental part in my life named Matt Dolan. He's a deacon in our church, has taught Sunday school for years. Incredible guy, faithful guy. I remember being so mad talking to him in our church picnic shelter after a Sunday. And it started to storm. And I was so mad. I was talking to him. I go, I don't, you guys are all hypocrites. You're driving your cars. We're in this building in here. There's people starving around the world. And we're not doing anything for them. And I wrestled with this. I got so angry. I walked out of the picnic shelter. And this is how I know he's a believer in a, in, in a godly man. I walked out of the picnic shelter. It's storming, thundering, lightning. And I look up to heaven church all around me. I feel sorry for my father. I probably embarrassed him a lot at church. But I literally yelled at heaven, God, if you're there, strike me down. Strike me down right now. And Matt Dolan, I remember the look in his eyes. His eyes got super big and he starts backing away from me. And that's how I knew he believed. <laughs> because to me, I was, I was at a point in my life where I, I, couldn't, I couldn't function. My whole dream was to be successful in music, and I wanted to make money. I have a, a passion for making money. I just I can't help it. I'm, I tend to be good at it, and it's something that I, I have a passion for. And, and I felt like I can't do it. And then when I would go to write songs, because we wrote all the songs when we were doing our music group, I felt like I couldn't write a love song. Because the love song is a secular song and I need to write songs that are praising to God. All these thoughts in my mind of going, I have to be exactly by the book, drove me to this place where I left Christianity. And I left, um, I didn't leave the church because I, I have a lot of uh, love and respect for my parents. So I um, still kept going for them, but openly said I was an agnostic. I knew there was a God. I started looking into Buddhism, Islam, started looking into other religions, debated with everybody I could. One of the biggest regrets in my life is I had friends that I believe I was probably played a, played a part in them and their walk with Christ and going away from Christ because I would give arguments for why you shouldn't be a Christian or why this is hypocritical. All these people in the church, they think they're radical. They show up to church on Sunday morning and that's it. There's a Gallup poll, Christian study, 49% of, um, of Christians read their Bible one time a week, right? So I would use all these things to go, all it is is just another system that you put people in. And so I went through a period of time studying, and I don't want to make this whole talk about that period because that could have a whole message in and of itself, but here are four reasons why I came back to Christ. And if you're ever wondering, if you're wondering why am I a Christian, I would encourage you to look at these reasons. Each one of them could have a whole study and series itself. There's books written on it. There's classes. The scientific reason, specifically the question of what is the origin of the universe, I struggled with that one because I knew it. I mean, how did this come to exist? That I struggled with, studied, brought me back to knowing there had to be a God. Second, which is the historical reason. There's amazing historical reasons for Christianity. Do you know that every major civilization in the world has a story of the great flood? Every major civilization. Isn't that amazing? Every single one of them has a story of the great flood. But even more importantly than that, the historical reason was who is Jesus? Because secular historians, secular and Christian, believe Jesus existed. 
They believe he existed. They even believe the resurrection was a thing that happened. Now, secular historians don't believe it was a supernatural thing. So I had to wrestle with the question of who is this man? Who is this man? And when you wrestle with that question, wrestle with it. Because it's going to lead you to the truth of understanding who Jesus is. The uh, third was objective morality. All of us know there's a right and wrong. We all know rape is wrong. Why? See, one of my biggest arguments now when I'm leading people to Christ is I ask them, how do you define right and wrong? Meaning if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound or does it not make a sound? If you cheat on a test and no one catches you, was it really wrong? Right? So objective morality, that question, there has to be a reason for right and wrong. There has to be a definition. Where does it come from? It has to come from some supernatural power, some power that is outside of our realm. That led me to Christ, back to Christ. And then the fourth, which people don't like as much when I'm talking to them or debating them about theology, but it actually is the best one. And it's the one I actually share the gospel the most with through now. It's the experiential reason. Meaning, the thing that has convinced me and led me back to Christ is living and walking in his principles. How do you know if something's successful? You know a tree is successful, right? Biblical principle by its fruits. I I shared this with Megan in the car ride last night because I just got back from California. I was out at a conference yesterday evening and if we saw nine out of ten planes crash would any of us get into a plane right none of us would get into a plane if you saw nine out of ten planes crash you wouldn't get in we get in planes because we see the fruit we see it works when you walk in the principles of christ the fruits that come out of that are amazing i look at my parents marriage And the the divorce rate is over 50% in the U.S. right now. I look at my parents' marriage and the fruits that have come from that. I look in the more I give, whether it's to the poor, the church, my employees, the more I receive. The blessing, and it's not material blessings necessary, but it's peace, it's joy, it's happiness. My way of sharing the gospel now is I share to people and go, hey, you don't have to believe what I believe, but if you lay your head on your pillow at night, and you find yourself depressed, and you find yourself where you just are not happy with where you're at in this life, I would encourage you, come, let me share with you what I'm walking in. Because the fruits that I'm experiencing are incredible. And they're the principles and teachings of Jesus. And that's why I came back to Christ, because I started stepping out in faith and going, okay, I'm going to believe this plane is going to fly and take off the ground. And as I started walking in the principles of Christ, it was incredible. But I still struggled with these verses. And I still struggle today going, how radical do I need to be as a Christian? Meaning, how, like, I don't know if you guys go through these same thoughts. How many, how many times did you read your Bible this week? How many times did you pray? I joke with people all the time. They think worship is weird and worship music's weird. I said, it's only weird because you don't do it a lot. Meaning if you were singing every single day and praising the Lord every single day through worship songs, when you got to church, it would feel normal. It would feel, it's only weird because we don't do it a ton. And so, you know, I struggle with those type of questions going, how radical do I need to be? And I want to pick apart, I think, the principles that are coming out of this passage. And then I want to share 
It might not be a revelation to you guys, but it was a revelation to me of who Jesus is and who, who God is. And it freed me. I can buy Dr. Peppers now. Guess what? I can even buy a Porsche if I wanted to. I'm not going to. I drive a Hyundai Sonata. But the point being is, like, I now know Christians can drive Porsches. They can live in penthouses. They can. I'm not, it's not for me to judge whether they should and where their life is, but I want to walk you through that. So this first one is, I'm breaking the passage up into a couple different parts. This is Luke 14, 25 through 26. So this is the one that shocks most people when they read it. I already read it, but if anyone comes to me that's not hate father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Doesn't that rub you guys the wrong way? I mean, this is Jesus saying hate. It seems contradictory. It seems Jesus is contradicting himself because doesn't he say to love your neighbor? Doesn't he say to uh, respect your father and mother? And the Bible, but he's saying hate. When you look at Jesus' teaching, he tends to have, and this is why you can never study the Bible with one verse. You must study and see what the whole scripture says, and you must study and see what the context is. So the context here is there's large crowds traveling. And I guarantee you probably what's going through Jesus' mind is he's human too. What do humans want? We want acceptance, and we want praise. And I bet it's the dream of every pastor to have a megachurch. They want to come in. I'm sure Pastor Tim, in his heart of hearts, wants to see this place packed wants to see hundreds of people in here. Jesus is giving a warning. First, it's not about the numbers, right? He wants to warn these people in this context of there's large crowds traveling. Hey, I, I want to I share with you guys that it's not about the crowds and you're going to have to give up your whole life. And he's not, he uses extreme arguments usually in every type of example he gives. Like if your arm causes you to sin, what does he say to do? Cut it off. See, I get a little, little interactive. Cut it off. No. The point being is he gets really extreme. He gets really extreme. In how, and there's many, many examples. Pluck out your eye. I mean, that's what he's doing here. What he's trying to do is he's trying to wake you up. He's trying to say, hey, listen to me. Listen to me. Because when you say hate, what are people doing? No, they're listening now. And here's what's interesting. We all know this is not literal. Because it wouldn't be consistent if it was literal. The context, and when you look at the consistency of Scripture, it is about loving your neighbor. It is about honoring. But what this is a call to is following Jesus is to take first priority in your life, even if it is painful, difficult, and misunderstood. Here's the truth. If you're, I'll use the spouse example. If your spouse doesn't want you to come to church or doesn't want you to share the gospel, which happens in many people's lives. You're supposed to choose, choose Jesus over that. Francis, Francis Schaeffer, do you guys know who Francis Schaeffer is? So, amazing guy, um, and unbelievable, you know, in ministering. His father wasn't a believer, and he felt called to go into ministry. He felt called to go into ministry, and um, he felt called to go to college. His father did not believe in college. 
And so he went down in the basement. His father said, you're not going to college. He goes, I need to go down to the basement. And he prayed and he flipped a coin like three times and said, Lord, if you want me to go to college, make it be, I think it was like tails. And he flipped it and it ended up being tails. And he came up and he told his father, Father, I got to go to college because I have to follow Jesus. And his father got super mad, ran out of the building, slammed the door, and on his way out said, I'll only pay for one semester. Well, it turns out his father got, ended up being led to Christ by Francis Schaeffer's work. And what they say is that when Francis Schaeffer chose Jesus over his father, it actually was instrumental in leading his father to Christ because he knew it was real in his son's life. Choosing Jesus over everyone else and showing true love, or sorry, sorry, choosing Jesus over everyone else is showing true love. Meaning it says hate, but you're really hating your mother. If your mother's saying don't believe in Jesus and you choose to follow your mother, that's more hatred for your mother than choosing to follow Jesus. Because if you choose to follow Jesus, then she has a chance to come to a right relationship with Jesus. So what this is just showing us from an extreme standpoint is you have to be willing to give up everything you own and be hated by the ones closest to you, to be not accepted by the ones closest to you to follow after Jesus. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The thing that I think is interesting about this verse is that the cross to us today is very soft. We have it in churches. We wear it on necklaces. We say, you know, that's my cross to bear. In Jesus' time, the cross was a torture weapon used to put people to death. So when Jesus said, pick up your cross every day, he was saying, pick up your torture, your death every day. When you study scriptures, and what I've come to understand about this is, this is dying to my desires my fleshly desires, my money desires, my sexual desires, whatever they are, dying and choosing Christ over those things. And the, most, the, the reason why I would say that stands out the most about carrying your cross is it's a daily thing. It's daily. It's not something that you pick up once. It's not something you go, Lord, I believe, and I, give me my cross and I'll bear it. No, it's something that every day when your feet hit the floor, you have to pick up your cross and you have to basically die to your own self-directed life. You have to do it daily and be willing to face whatever physical, emotional, or social persecution that ensues. Tying this back to my testimony, where this is extremely difficult for me is I'm very motivated by building a company and money. And I'm very motivated by acceptance from people and praise from people. And... I have to tell myself every single day. I messed up this weekend at the conference. I said a swear word, swear word this is my confession, a swear word around the table at dinner one night with the speakers, and I said it just to be accepted by everybody around that table, just to fit in because they're all talking and joking around, and I want to be a part of it, and they're successful speakers, and I'm speaking at this conference too, and I gave in to that. And so picking up my cross every single day, and this is the, I get more out of this teaching probably than you guys do because the teacher always gets more, is I have to reflect and go, no, I can't fit in if that's what fitting in is. 
I am going to have to give up on that. Jesus then gives two examples. And, you know, Carl's already read the examples, but he gave the example of building a building and he gave the example of going to war. And what he's trying to show here in these examples that he's giving is he's trying to show that don't just choose to follow me at an altar call. See, altar calls are nowhere in the Bible. I'm not against altar calls by any means. The statistics show that usually there's a 10% success rate of people when they come down to the altar of continuing. It's an emotional type decision. And, and I'm not against altar calls, so don't get me wrong here. I'm not against altar calls, but understand that it is an emotional driven decision. What Jesus is saying is this decision will affect your whole life. And he gives the example of if you go to build a building, are you going to build a building without a roof? Right? No, you're not going to leave it without a roof. And so you have to be prepared. Then he gives the example of going to war. A couple of things I wrote down. Jesus is saying if you don't have the wherewithal or willingness to see it through, don't even attempt the journey. Discipleship is a decision that demands the utmost seriousness and commitment. All these things on the screen... Jesus is literally, it's one of the times in the Bible where he's saying, don't follow me. Don't follow me if you're not prepared to calculate the cost because it's going to cost you everything. Last part of the scripture is salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Who is the salt? We are the salt. We're the salt. So back in this time, they went and collected the salt from the Dead Sea and they would collect other minerals and other types of salt. And there was, the reality was just, I guess from the science, science and biology or whatever, is you could have salt that had no taste. That's like us being Christians that show no good deeds, that do no good deeds, that give up nothing to follow Christ. If you were on trial for being a Christian, we've probably all heard this, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you looked at your past week, would there be enough evidence to convict you from this past week that you're a follower of Jesus? That's what this verse is, is talking about. Here's the revelation. Uh, this is what enabled me to be able to buy a Dr. Pepper again, to be able to realize that Christians can buy Porsches, that I actually could have been a successful probably musician even in the secular realm, is that God doesn't judge you on how much you give. He doesn't judge you on how, how many people you bring to Christ how many sermons, how many churches I show up to or Sundays I show up to. He judges the intent and the heart. See, Christianity, here's what's amazing about Christianity from every other religion. Go study other religions. The most amazing thing is every other religion is about what you do. Christianity is the only religion is about what Jesus did. See, that is what is so powerful about Christianity, that God judges the heart. I put verses up on the screen for time's sake. I'm not going to read them. But um, this shows from Scripture that God judges your heart and your motive 
He's not judging the necessary, the, the outcome or the action. Because the widow gave two mites. Two mites probably didn't do a lot, of, lot for the church back then. But the widow was in the right, giving two mites versus the people who gave more. Because he judges the heart. And what freed me is I realized that hating your mother and your father... Picking up your cross daily, giving up, renouncing everything, selling your possessions, all of that is a heart. At any moment right now, if God asked me to go to Nineveh, that's the real test. That's the real test. Doesn't matter, I can make as much money as I want. I can go and drive the Porsches. I can buy the Dr. Peppers. But God's judging my heart. And for me, and you got to look inside your own heart and go, if buying the Dr. Pepper, I'm sorry to say this, but if buying the Dr. Pepper to you is convicting and is that I shouldn't be doing that and I should be giving my money to the poor, that's probably the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because God judges the heart and he's judging your heart intent. He's judging your heart motivation. He's not necessarily judging how successful you are or how much you gave to the church or how many Sundays you showed up. And this transformed my life. It freed me and still frees me to this day, even with my struggles of going, am I giving all that I should be giving? Am I up here on stage right now doing this sermon because I feel like I'm, I'm required to? Or am I doing it because I really, truly, my heart's desire is to see God glorified? And it's not an emotional feeling. It's a conscious decision. I'm going to close with this. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So not only are you judged by your heart's desire, every action you take is from your heart. Guys, back there, if you want to know what you believe in, if you want to know what you believe in, look at your calendar, where you spend your time, and look at the money. We learned that at the retreat, right? If you guys remember the retreat, it stuck with me. It was so powerful. Look at where your money is spent. Look at where you spend your time, and you'll know where your heart is. You'll know. And here's what's amazing. This is not for me. I can't claim it. It's John Piper, but it, it, it spoke to me when I was doing the pr preparation for this, is that Christianity is amazing because it's a free gift, but it still requires work. And, and the analogy is if I wanted to go climb Mount Everest, and I can't afford it. It costs $70,000 to go climb Mount Everest. So what if Carl came along and said, Luke, I'm going to fund your whole trip. It's all paid for. You can go climb Mount Everest. He paid the price. I have to put in the work and the commitment. I'm the one that still has to train and do all the, the stuff to, to put in the work to follow through. That's what these, your deeds are. And don't, your deeds do not earn our salvation. Rather, they exhibit our salvation. So my not buying the Dr. Pepper is not earning me heaven. It's just exhibiting where my heart is and where, what I believe in. It's not that we merit righteousness from our deeds, Rather, our deeds mark our new life in Christ. It's not that our deeds deserve God's favor. Rather, they demonstrate our faith. And so to tie all this back to, the, to my testimony is that my greatest struggle is in theology and understanding how radical do I need to be? Can I work this job? Can I make this money? Can I, should I show up to church this many times? And where I'm freed now is that I'm really just going, where's my heart? 
Where's my heart? And if my heart right now is all in the money and my time and my calendar and everything's in the money, I need to change. Then I need to stop buying the Dr. Peppers. But if my heart is, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to use my life and, and the lunches I have and the, and the speaking engagements I have. And if I have a chance to share you with them, I'm going to. But I'm open to being used by you. Then my heart's in the right place. This is the challenge for you guys. Your allegiance to Jesus must be complete. Every other allegiance must pale before it. You must be constantly ready to die for Jesus, if necessary, as you follow him. You must give up everything you have to follow Jesus. Not literally, willing in your heart and mind. If he calls you, you must be willing. That is the cost. You must retain the distinctive flavor of uncompromised disciples. If you were put on trial this coming week, would they know you're a Christian? That's the flavor. That's the flavor. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you. I thank you.